Escape Pod 140 January 10th, 2007 Today's story, Astro Monkeys, by Tony Fraser. Hello, and welcome to Escape Pod. I'm Steve Ely. We've got a fun superhero story for you today. You can guess with a title like Astro Monkeys, it's probably not too solemn. One theme I haven't addressed much in these intros is the role of humor in our fiction. That's a little surprising, because I take my humor pretty seriously. Like many kids, I cut my SF teeth on Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and I've watched Terry Pratchett develop from a light parody author to one of the most thoughtful writers in or out of fantasy. Neil Stevenson writes some dense stuff, but it wouldn't work if he wasn't funny. Heck, Shakespeare wouldn't work if it wasn't funny. I think good, funny pieces are vital in any genre. It's easier to engage new audiences and hold people's attention. It carries more energy. Deep and important ideas often penetrate better if there's some fun to them. That's why it bothers me a little bit that there don't seem to be as many funny science fiction stories being written, especially ones that are funny without being parodies. You can see it in the magazines, and I see it in our submissions. I'm not saying that dark, brooding pieces that are heavy with their own significance are any worse than funnier pieces, or that we're less likely to buy them if they're good, but we definitely see a lot more of them. I think it's a danger sign for our literary works, just like it is for people, if they begin to take themselves too seriously all the time. So we'll continue to keep an eye out for stuff that doesn't. Ergo, this week we're pleased to present Astro Monkeys by Tony Frazier. Mr. Frazier lives in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This story appeared in issue one of the excellent webzine Jim Bayon's Universe in June 2006, and it's the first of three stories to feature this main character, the superhero Digger. The other two are available now in the December 07 edition of Bane's Universe and the anthology Daikaiju 3. Gotta love that title. Rumor has it he's working on a Digger novel as well. I'd love to see that. The story's read for us by Norm Sherman from one of my favorite story podcasts, The Drabblecast. Each week, Norm presents a fantastic flash fiction piece with rich sound production, great voice acting, and intros that are, no question, funnier than mine. You can find their work at drabblecast.org, and you should. So order another pint and tip your server well. It's story time. Astro Monkeys by Tony Frazier So I slide onto the bar stool, and Jill says, Digger, I haven't seen you in a while. Been out fighting crime? Or was it monsters? Lawyers. I say. Long story. I told you I am retired from the superhero business. Right, she says. So, who's your friend? This is Dave, I say. And then, noticing the way Jill's looking at him, I add, and he's way too young for you. Is he? Jill says. I can't blame her for looking. Dave's a good-looking guy, better looking than me, although... <laughs> That's not saying much. So, Dave, do you have an ID? She asks. Dave looks panicked for a second and says, Um, it's cool, Jill, I say. He turns 21 today. I promised him that I'd buy his first beer on his 21st birthday, and it's important that I keep that promise. So, could you just bring us two beers, please? 
Oh, you're vouching for him. So that makes it okay. It's my liquor license on the line, you know, she says. Just bring us the beers. I promise there won't be any problem. And you keep your promises, she says. I try. Jill brings us each a mug and draws one for herself. First one's on me, she says. Happy birthday. Thanks, Dave says. No, first one's on me, I say, gently moving Dave's mug to the side. I'd hate to accidentally knock over the kid's first beer with the driller beam generator grafted onto my wrist. They're such a pain in the ass sometimes. I swear to God, someday I'm just going to cut them off with a hacksaw. The only reason I haven't so far is that, well, then I'd have to change my name, and I wouldn't know what to call myself. I told you, I made a promise. What's so important about this promise? Jill asks. Long story, I say. Tell her, Dave says. Are you sure? I ask. Sure, I don't mind. It's a good story, and she wants to hear it. You do want to hear it, don't you? He asks Jill. Jill nods because, of course, she wants to hear anything I don't feel like telling her. All right, I say. So I was eating this burger. This was back in L.A., I don't know, eight years ago, when I was working solo before we formed God's 2.0. The ones who died, Jill says. Yeah, them. So, like I was saying, I was at Tommy's eating this burger. Tommy's was like a local legend. They made the most disgusting chili burgers on earth. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, So anyways, I'm standing outside because, well, there's no dining room. I take a bite of this burger and get chili all over my face. And they don't have napkins there, just these uh, paper towel dispensers mounted to the walls like you'd find in a... Uh, a public restroom. So I'm reaching for this paper towel, and suddenly, my burger's gone. Just snatched right out of my hand. I look around to see who took my burger, and everybody's looking up. So I look up, and there, sitting on the roof, holding my burger, is this big, green monkey. A monkey, Jill says. I nod. And it's green. What I said. And he's just sitting there looking at me like, Yeah, I took your burger. What are you gonna do about it? Because he doesn't know how high I can jump, right? So I jump up there after him and he screeches and throws the burger at me. Hits me right in the face. Chilly everywhere. Jill suppresses a giggle. Oh yeah, real funny. So I'm up on the roof, wiping the chili out of my eyes. I look around, and now he's on the other end of the building, still screeching at me. So what'd you do? Jill asks. What was I supposed to do? I couldn't leave this monkey running around loose. I went after him. 
He tried to get away, but I'm, you know, really fast. So before he could take two steps, I had him pinned down with my hand around his scrawny little neck. Aww. Jill pouts. Don't feel sorry for him, because now, now he was really pissed off. And the next thing you know, his eyes glow green, and he zaps me with this eye beam that sends me flying. Well, I hope it hurt, Jill says, picking on a poor little monkey. Well, it didn't feel good, I say. So he takes off down the street, and I go after him. I spot this trash can, one of those heavy steel barrels. I grab it and take this huge leap, 50 feet easy. I come down right on top of him. Slam! Barrel o monkey. Oh, and by the way, whoever came up with that phrase, more fun than a barrel of monkeys, oughta be bitch slapped. Cause I had one, and let me tell you, it was no fun at all. The monkey's screeching and slamming and banging inside this thing, and then I hear the eye beams start zapping, and these dents start popping out like big metal zits. Pyong, pyong. But the barrel, yeah, it stays in one piece, so I figure it's over. I got him. And then something lands on my head and starts screeching and pulling my hair. Another one? Jill asks. Exactly. I grab it by the scruff of the neck and peel it off my head, and it's snarling and spitting, and then its eyes start to glow. Well, I know what's coming next, so I say to myself, I don't care if it's an endangered species, and I spike it like a football. Poor monkey, Jill says, pouting. Yeah, poor monkey, I say. So then, something zaps me from behind, and I turn around, and there's three more of the things. And I'm like, how many of these green radioactive space monkeys are there? Then the barrel goes, whoop, 50 feet straight up into the air, and now that one's loose, and they all take off down the street. Jill looks at Dave and asks, do you ever show up in this story uh, not for a while, Dave says. Okay, she turns back to me. Go ahead. All right, so I'm chasing these things down the street, and there's more showing up all the time, so now there's like, I don't know, ten of them. I have no idea how I'm supposed to wrangle up all these space monkeys. And right about then is when this dude comes swooping down out of the sky, wearing this blue costume with a big yellow star on his chest. Another hero, Jill says. Guy named Astro, I say. I'd run into him a few times before, back when God's 1.0 was still together. He would be fighting this monster. That was his thing, fighting these random space monsters. And we'd show up to help out. I thought he was okay, but the other guys, they didn't seem to like him much. Why not? Jill asks. Well, he was kind of a dork. No offense, I say, turning to Dave. Dave waves it off. He didn't seem all that bright, and he could be a show-off at times, like, like we'd be fighting this monster, and I'd look over at him, and he'd shoot me this cocky little grin, like, 
Watch this shit. And then he'd pull the craziest damn stunt you ever saw. Hell of it is, it'd usually work. And then the monster would dissolve to nothing, because that's what space monsters do when they die, apparently. And just as we'd start to clean up the mess, Astro would get this emergency call and disappear. Turn the light and fly away. Turn the light? Jill asked. Yeah, that was his other deal, turning the light. We might have tried to follow him, except, you know, speed of light. Hard to keep up. Anyway, he'd take off and leave us with the mess, and the other guys kind of resented him for it. It got to where, after a while, I was the only one who'd ever respond to Astro Alerts anymore. It was almost like I was his only friend. I see, Jill says. So anyway, he comes swooping down out of the sky, and he's got this stop sign that he's yanked out of the ground somewhere, and he's popping these monkeys on the head with it, and the monkeys are running every which way. Like, like, you ever see North by Northwest, when the biplanes chasing Cary Grant? Kind of like that, only uh, with, you know, green monkeys. So now we got to figure out what to do with all these unconscious monkeys. I grab a tarp from this nearby construction site and start wrapping them up. At some point, this cop pulls up and sees me with this tarp full of monkeys slung over my shoulder like Santa Claus. I start to say something like, Officer, I'm glad you're here. Oh, we got these monkeys. And he says, You've got monkeys. Where you been? Everybody's got monkeys. There's hundreds of them popping up all over the city. We got them in Santa Monica heading east. They're in Hollywood heading south. They're in Watts heading north. Like they're converging on one central point, I say. And by this time, Astro's there listening in. And he gets this startled look on his face. And he says, I know where they're going. Grab onto my back. I drop the tarp and wrap my arms around his neck. The cop starts yelling about the stop sign being city property, so Astro drops that, and we take off. He gets about 20 feet up, and the cop goes, Hey! We look down, and the cop's got the tarp unfolded, and it's empty. Just a little green mist drifting up from the fabric. The cop looks up at us and says, I thought you said you had monkeys. I open my mouth to tell him we did. But Astro says, let's go. And he shoots straight up into the air. Did I ever mention I hate flying? Yes, Jill says. Well, I hate it. So anyway, we're flying around up there, and now I'm glad I didn't get a chance to eat any more of my chili burger, because just the smell from my shirt is making me want to hurl. I'm hanging on tight, and I'm scared to death that Astro will turn his head and smile at me like, watch this shit, and then start doing barrel rolls or something. But he just says, look, and points down. And there's hundreds of green space monkeys down there. And if you know anything about L.A. traffic at the best of times, you can imagine the mess. We get past the worst of it, and then we come down into this neighborhood, and we land in front of this little house. 
We walk up to the front door, and Astro knocks, and a couple of seconds later, this woman answers. Mid-thirties, shabbily dressed, red eyes like, uh, like she'd been crying. She looked exhausted, just worn out in general, and she looks up at Astro, and she gets this look on her face, like she's seen a ghost, and she says, Davy? Jill looks at Dave. So you're Astro? Dave shakes his head. <laughs> it's complicated. I keep talking. So Astro walks past this woman without a word, right into the house, and I follow him because <laughs> what else am I going to do? We walk through this living room, and there's all these pictures, like family portraits, mom, dad, little kid, and the mom is the woman who answered the door, only less tired, and the dad looks kind of like Astro, older but similar. We head to the back of the house, and we go into this bedroom, and it's like walking into a hospital. There's a bed with rails and monitoring equipment and IVs, and there in the bed is this kid. I say kid, it turns out he was 13, but he was tiny, you know, frail, like a stick. And he looks like he could be Astro's kid brother, and he's fast asleep. The woman comes charging into the room behind us, saying, Don't you touch my Davy! Jill looks at Dave. So, wait, you were the kid in the bed? Hey, who's telling the story? I say. Don't skip to the end. So the woman says, Don't touch my Davy. Astro ignores her still, looks at me and says, This is Davy Lopez. He's been in a coma for six years. The monkeys are coming after him. We have to protect him. Well, the woman starts freaking out, like, What are you talking about, monkeys? And we're heading to the back of the house, and Astro suggests weapons might be a good idea, since he lost the stop sign. So I head out to the garage, and I grab a shovel, because, you know, I'm, I'm Digger. And I come out into the front yard, and the woman's really freaking out, because Astro's out there holding her couch. He looks at me and says uh, something like, The bigger the better. The woman's having a total cow. And then the monkeys start appearing down the street, and the woman shuts up and runs inside. So then... We start fighting monkeys. Some of them are small, like the ones we fought before, but some of them are big, like baboon size. I run out, and I fire up the driller beam generators on my wrist. I dig this big trench and throw up the dirt on one side for a barrier, but the monkeys just swarm right over, and I swear to God, I am not making this up. Some of them shoot flames out of their butt, and fly over. No way, Jill says. They had an air force, swear to God. So I'm running back and forth, smacking monkeys with a shovel, and Astro's flying overhead, swinging at the flying ones with a couch. And it's like, 
Uh, did you ever see Zulu, where there's like 50 British troops fighting 5,000 African warriors? Same damn thing. Uh, they were everywhere. It was hopeless. So I look up to see if Astro has any ideas, only I can't see him. No Astro, no couch. Just this big, green, crawling lozenge that slams into the ground. Astro's lying in the shallow crater, covered with biting, pounding monkeys, and he's not moving. I run over there and dig the driller beam generators into the ground and blast this huge wave of dirt and rock that knocks the monkeys off of him for a minute. And then I go in swinging with the shovel, and the monkeys back off. I look down, and Astro's in bad shape. His clothes are torn up, and he's bleeding from like, uh, like a hundred bites. I kneel down and help him sit up and say, Are you okay? And he says, real quiet, I give up. I wasn't sure I heard him right, so I asked him what he said, and he says it again. I give up. I asked him what he meant, and he said, Why keep fighting? They're going to win some day. Might as well be today. What am I staying around for? I might as well take off. Just like he did. Just like everybody will. Eventually. And I'm like, What are you talking about? And he looks up at me, and he says, I'm tired. And then he fades away, dissolves into smoke. What? Jill asks. Gone. And I realize the monkeys are leaving me alone. But I turn around, and the house is just covered with them. They're tearing at the walls and pounding on the roof. So I go running toward the house, and I fire up the driller beams and dive under the ground, coming up in the living room. I run back to Davy's room, and the walls are shaken, and Miss Lopez is leaning over the bed, screaming hysterically, and the kid's just sleeping through it all. The woman's screaming at me, Make it stop! Make it stop! And I don't know what to do. I, I mean, you can only beat up so many monkeys. So I ask her, Miss Lopez... Do you have a gun? She looks at me like I'm crazy and asks, What? A gun, I say. Do you have a gun in the house? Maybe if we shoot a couple, it'll scare the others away. Which, yeah, it probably wouldn't work, but it would give her something to do other than scream. And besides, I was desperate, because at this point, the walls are cracking apart, and dust is coming down from the ceiling. So she says... Davy's dad had a gun, I think, but I don't know where he hides it. Oh, well, can we call him? I ask. She says, I, I don't know where he is. He left us. I'm all, what do you mean? And she says, 15 years of marriage, and yesterday he says he can't take it anymore. I'm tired, he says. I give up, he says. And then he just leaves. I don't know where he is. And that's when I figured it out. Astro wasn't Davy, but he was a part of Davy. 
like some fantasy of what Davy wanted to be, made real somehow. The monkeys, too. I don't know what they were, some manifestation of his illness, or maybe just his depression from his father leaving. Maybe every random space monster Astro ever fought was some manifestation of Davy's struggle for life. Only every time up to now, Astro had won, and this time, he had given up. Because Davy was giving up. And as soon as those monkeys got a hold of Davy, he would die. So I grabbed the kid, and I said, Stop it, Davy. Make them stop. I know you're tired, but I also know you want to live. Because if you didn't, the monkeys would have just appeared inside your room instead of coming here from all over town. If you didn't want to live, you wouldn't have sent Astro to fight them. And you wouldn't have had him bring me here to fight for you. So just stop it. Which worked as well as saying, just stop it ever works. The ceiling tore open, and the walls crumbled, and the monkeys came swarming in from all directions. Miss Lopez fell down screaming, and I grabbed Davy, tore out the IV tube, and went in the only direction I could. Straight down. So I'm carrying this kid, who weighs like nothing, like forty pounds, like he's stuffed with feathers, and I'm running as fast as the driller beams can carve a path for me, but I know it's hopeless. I can't outrun them. My only hope, Davy's only hope, is to get him alone and maybe talk some sense into him, which, you know, was probably impossible, but I had to give it one last try. So I turned back toward the surface and burst up into a yard on the far side of the street, and the monkeys were there, waiting for me. So I jumped as high as I could over their heads, hit the roof of the house, then dropped into the backyard and took off running. Did you ever see Ferris Bueller's Day Off? You know the bit at the end there where he's racing his sister home? It was like that. I mean, I'm jumping over fences, getting chased by dogs, bouncing off trampolines, and then I see what I'm looking for. It's this shed for garden tools. Aluminum. Flimsy. I dive in there and wedge the door shut with a rake. I put the kid on the floor and I cover his body with mine while the monkeys are outside hooting and screeching and pounding on the walls. It, it was like... Did you ever read that story, The Monkey's Paw, where the parents are huddled inside the house while the storm is raging and there's this pounding on the door? It was like that, only with hundreds of monkey's paws, and the green eye beams are ripping through the walls overhead. And I just put my head down and started babbling into Davy's ear. <laughs> I, I don't even remember what I said. Yes, you do, Dave says. You said... You, you said you promised Astro you'd protect me. So if they wanted to kill me... They had to kill you first. And you didn't want to die with chili on your shirt. <laughs> oh yeah, I did say something like that. And then I said, Don't kill me today. Give me one more day 
I promise you, it won't look as bad tomorrow as it does today. And even if it does, it won't look that bad the next day. Just one more day. If you can make it through one more day, you can make it through one more week. And before you know it, I'll be buying you a beer on your 21st birthday. In fact, I promise I'll buy you your very first one. What do you say? <laughs> I could really use that beer, kid. Come on, you owe me. You already ruined my burger. And then the pounding stopped. Silence. I stood up, and I looked out through the holes in the wall, and it was just solid green monkeys, as far as the eye could see, covering everything like astroturf. And none of them were moving. So I opened the door, and I picked the kid up, and I stepped outside. And the monkeys are dissolving, one by one, into green mist, just like Astro had. I walked out of the yard, into the street, and there's more monkeys, and more mist. Until then, there's just a few stragglers left. And off in the distance, I can see this one big monkey, running, like he's coming late to the party. And he's carrying something, but I can't tell what. And he comes up and sits down right in front of me. And he holds out his paw and hands me this Tommy burger. There was a dried leaf stuck in the chili, but I ate it anyway. It was good. Jill doesn't say anything for a while. Just looks back and forth from Dave to me, to Dave. And then she asks him, Is that really what happened? Dave shrugs. <laughs> Hell if I know. I was asleep. Jill picks up her mug and salutes with it. Well then, here's to you, Dave. May you never mess with another monkey in your life. Hey, what about me? I ask. I did most of the work. Yeah, but you need to get messed with every now and then. We all clink mugs, and Jill and I sip. So, Jill says, wiping a darling little fleck of foam from her lip. Was that the same day you came out of the coma? Dave looks at me, flashes me this grin I haven't seen in years. A cocky little grin that says, Watch this shit. <laughs> Who said I did? He asks. And then he fades clean away. Gone. Like smoke. Jill's jaw drops. I reach over and snag Dave's beer. Shame to let a good beer go to waste. And that was our story. You know, if you're going to give anyone the power to shape the real world with their subconscious mind, it probably is safest to give it to a child. They'll come up with superheroes and butt-flying monkeys. You think of offering it to an adult who wants to enact change for the greater good. Now that's scary. A quick bit of genre news. 
It's the start of a new year, and among many other things, it means that nominations are now open for the Hugo Awards. If you're a member of this year's or last year's Worldcon, you have the power to tell them about your favorite novels, short stories, dramatic presentations, etc., and maybe get your favorites on the ballot. Now, I'm not trying to campaign here for anything escape pod, but one of my favorite people, Mer Lafferty, is eligible for the John W. Campbell Award for Best New Writer. She has had a number of excellent stories on Escape Pod, including I Look Forward to Remembering You and the very recent City Talkers. And as I've been listening to her podcast Heaven series and her new novel Playing for Keeps, I really think she is one of the best fun new writers out there. If you like Murr's work too, and you're eligible to nominate for the awards, I do hope you'll consider suggesting her name for the Campbell. And if you can't, well, feel free to spread the word. Back to feedback. A month ago, we ran EP 136, Bud Sparhawk's war story, Bright Red Star. This story spurred more discussion than any other recent story, with over a hundred comments in the forums, and it's been a very thoughtful discussion. Very few critiques were negative. Thoris Muntz said, I couldn't get into this story even a little bit. We were told rather than shown everything, and he felt the plot wasn't going anywhere. Nobilis said he didn't like it when he saw the end coming from the beginning, that the story started off on its transcendent line. And we had a few people take points off for heavy-handedness. But for the most part, listeners found it disturbing and effective. We had more people say they listened to it twice, just to let it sink in again, than any other story. Eric Ney thought it had parallels to Tom Godwin's classic story, The Cold Equations. Obaki said it reminded him of Saberhagen's Berserker stories. I'd say the bulk of the discussion was about the morality of the survival decision humanity faced in the story, to wipe out its own people to preserve itself. There was some heated debate about whether this was really about current real-world problems, or whether it should even be read that way. The comments of the week are actually a serve and volley. Gaijin51 said, I guess the point is that, if humanity is faced with an existential threat that will resort to any method to annihilate us without moral considerations, like Shardis or Al-Qaeda, that extreme methods may be necessary to defend the homeland. To which High Five replied, you mean like taking off my shoes before walking through a detector at the airport? Man, that is weird. Escape Pod is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated, and is distributed on a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. You can share us all you like, just don't sell us or change us. If you like what you're hearing, please tell a friend or blog about us. And if you really like it, we hope you'll consider donating via the PayPal link at our site. It helps us pay our authors and keep coming back to you week after week. You can also check out our horror podcast, Pseudopod, at pseudopod.org, and buy archive CDs at poddisc.com. Our music is by permission of Daikaiju. You can hear more of them at daikaiju.org. That was our show for this week. Our closing quotation comes from Frank Miller, comic artist and writer extraordinaire, who said, The fundament of a superhero is the guy in tights saving innocent people from bad things. It's amazing how infrequently that seems to happen in superhero comics these days. We'll see you next week. Have fun. <laughs>